1: Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does its better on this week's Clash Podders in Control Valentine's Day warm-up special in the red corner. First up this week, to celebrate upcoming Valentine's Day, what says commitment more than taking your partner of only five months to visit your folks at their upstate New York mansion? nothing except possibly offering you up as a new body sold at a terrifying silent auction that will leave your own mind trapped forever in the sunken place from 2017 we're shouting get out
2: you got your toothbrush yeah do you have your deodorant yeah do you have your cozy clothes got
0: that
2: what do they know i'm black should I? You might want to you know mom and dad my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man <laughs> black. I ain't never seen you like this before bruh meeting family taking road trips. Don't so come back all bougie, man Come back get your damn pants up to your damn stomach <laughs> <Here> he <goes. laughs>
0: So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this this
1: thing?
2: (laughs) Couldn't see no
0: brother around here.
2: Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man.
1: Get out! Yo. <laughs> While in the blue corner, love is in the air at another stately home where a new groom can't wait to marry his blushing bride and all that she has to do is play a little game of hide-and-seek with guns and death thrown in for fun. Can a marriage survive when you've watched your spouse cave your mum's head in with an antique puzzle box? From 2019, are you ready or not?
3: i can't believe that in half an hour i will be a part of the lodomus gaming dynasty empire
1: uh, dominion
0: we prefer dominion
2: i honestly can't wait to be a part of your family there's just one more thing
0: and then you are
2: officially part of the family
1: So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family.
0: A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that?
2: Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you.
0: So there's no way for me to win, right?
2: Stay hidden till dawn.
0: (laughs) No, thank you.
1: Good luck. So what connects these two movies and which film does it better? Let's find out. It's a Clash of the Titles Valentine's Week special.
2: Release the Kraken.
1: Hello, Clash Putters. Behold the Coagula. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. How's Tricks? Really good. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. In blue today. You Thank know, you. I often wear blue.
3: I should though, shouldn't I? Because it's my colour. It really is. It really offsets
1: the red. <laughs> my face! <laughs> She's going red, Alex. <laughs> I, know. I know. That was unnecessary. Bastard. I just swapped it at the last minute. I was going to say blonde hair. It's nice with the blonde <laughs> yeah. hair. You look like a beach. It's the sandy... That's nice.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. Uh,
1: Fine. Uh, and Chris, <laughs> Ghostbusters love it. What? your t-shirt. Okay, good. You should say cuz people can't actually see me. I'm not I'm not a ghostbuster. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to talk about ghostbusters. ghostbusters.
3: You cannot take a compliment. We
1: should do- No, it's for the it's for the listeners, Vicky.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Well, we're all caught up. Right then, time to continue another month over listener suggestions, a.k.a. Clashpotters in Control, formerly known as Fanuary, now called February Fanny. This is your last <laughs> chance this week. It is the last chance this week. Our dear listeners, our dear Clashpotters, if they want to get a pairing in, they can still email, right? I think there's two more listener weeks, isn't there? Okay. Mm. Okay, great. That's what we got on the schedule. So you've got a couple more chances. Yes, Yeah. A couple more chances. Uh, do send us an email if you've got a pair that you'd like us to clash on the show. Show at clashpod.com. gives a reason for why you want that particular pairing clashing. So, who did today's pair come from Chris?
4: Sara in Madrid uh, emailed us and suggested get out versus ready or not for our
1: alternative. <laughs> what's, what's going on? Do, have you been to Madrid and had a hilarious experience? No one's going to understand. Chris, for someone who cares so much about the listeners, why are you you laughing at Sarah in Madrid? (laughs) Interesting. Because I made it up. (laughs) Um, We're going to have to do this bit again. It's too late. Right then, so the clue I gave last week was meet the parents. Chris followed that up on Twitter with... Fun and games for all the family? Yes, which I think was yours, wasn't it? It was mine as yes, well, yeah. yeah. So we're on Twitter, at ClashPod also. Instagram, at ClashPod. And the Guessers tried to hide, but we found them. So congratulations, Kieran, Henry Crinkle, Ian McLennan, and Matt T, who all got it right, but our winner this week. Congratulations, Reese Page. Your prize is to play hide-and-seek with the three of us while wearing a wedding dress while Chris performs an a cappella version of the Fuji's Ready or Not. And if that sounds weird and kinky... It is. Can't wait to find you. I'd like to do that. I <laughs> yeah. right? It's a hell of a tune. <laughs> it's a great tune, but I think a swing version. I think you could pull off a sort of big band Sinatra. <laughs> radio. or not, here I come. You can hide. <laughs> if I could sing, maybe. I'm going to find you and take it slowly. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah? I can see you doing that. A little tuck while Reese screams in a wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, just a, a quick mention. Uh, hello to uh, listener Vish- Vinesh uh, Katwar, who says, and I only bring this up because I think we've been racking our brains. You might be able to tell me better, Chris, uh, for a pairing for the usual suspects. Uh, Vinesh says, uh, "Great to listen to you guys. Uh, I'd love to hear you talk about the usual suspects, but with what?" Any ideas? Because uh, a gentleman mastermind on Twitter replied with Memento or Fight Club. They also have unreliable narrators traversing their way through crimes and the stories do not progress chronologically or linearly. Mm-hmm. Mm, I think that's good. I might throw Gone Girl maybe in there as well. That sure. could work with usual suspects. Or Shutter Island. Sure. sure. Yeah. Anyway, food... For thought, because we'd love to do The Usual Suspects. Okay, right then. And that pulse was brought to you by <laughs> <laughs> The Usual Suspects, available now on re released DVD. Uh, produced by <laughs> who was it directed by though? Someone who's got who's it got in it? This G- uh, Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> I feel like that's why we put it on the back burner, to be honest. Because right. one of those people, uh, and it's two of them. It's like, oh, do we have to talk about this one? <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so. Let's do the connection section for this week. What have you got for Get Out versus Ready or Not? Well, the clue was
4: games. It's obvious in Ready or Not. Mm. We've got the board games. We've got Hide and Seek. In in Get Out, you've got Bocce. The bocce ball that he attacks oh, Jeremy yeah. with. You've got lacrosse. Hmm. Uh, you've got slave bingo. Um, and there's a deleted scene that I'm going to talk about, uh, which is a whole scene around a game of badminton, which is quite mm. interesting. Wrestling as Wrestling, well. Wrestling,
1: exactly, Between yep. Jeremy and Chris at the dinner table. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, Murderous in-laws.
3: Obvious. And you murder your in-laws as yep, well.
1: True. Spousal
4: Betrayal.
3: Fancy mansions.
4: Yeah, big house in the country with a games room with dead deer on the walls of the games room and pictures of ancestors on the walls of the games room as well. Yeah.
1: Cults, really, if we're honest. Both mm. of them quite culty. Sure. That's good. Yeah, Rich White Privilege. Uh, two films that originally had much darker endings that were changed for mm. a more upbeat one. That is good. Thank you.
4: Um, Don't Smoke. Oh, yes. They don't want the characters, our protagonists, oh, yeah. not to smoke. Mm. Uh, men crying whilst tied up, which is something we've
3: yeah. seen in our time,
4: haven't we? Yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> Have we that time in Madrid? That video is private.
3: <laughs> and it's for my use, only.
1: Uh, great stuff. Any more for any more? Headlocks.
4: Oh, oh yeah? People put other people in headlocks in the films. <laughs> and kids' songs. You've got Run Rabbit in oh, uh, yeah. Get Out and you've got the Hide and Seek song in Ready or Not. <sighs> Very nice. Loads of good
1: ones this week. Yeah. Very nice. So on Thursday, Chris will be talking about hide and seek, but sadly not the much loved Robert De Niro and Dakota Fanning horror, which means today, Victoria will be reminded of that time me and her lived together and I walked on her. <laughs> I walked in on her in the shower, which she points which, but I'm not going to do it. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. It was a long winded way of getting to get out.
3: Right. OK. okay yeah.
1: Is it true? Uh, she didn't notice uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow Ooh. Ooh. let's go take us on
3: a journey right okay alright here we are When is a microaggression not a microaggression? When they really are trying to kill you, as Chris Washington finds out the hard way. He might think his girlfriend is hot when she calls out a police officer for racial profiling, but will feel very differently once he realises she's lured him and countless others to her parents' fancy mansion so he can be sold off at a slave auction by her seemingly genial and try-hard dad and hypnotised into a waking death by her frankly always terrifying and inappropriate mum. After enduring references to his frame, genetic makeup and sexual performance, the teacup strikes again and Chris is lost to the sunken place until he beats the racists, then beats the racists with symbolic weapons and oppressed rage. When it looks like a white woman's tears will be the end of him, but best buddy Rod is here to save the day. Rod, who knew all along what was going on. You absolutely cannot trust a girl who still has cuddly toys by her bed and if the best the in-laws can offer you after a long car journey is iced tea, then get out.
4: very good thanks oh boy
3: Uh, so I didn't see this at the cinema I saw it the minute I could on Amazon which was once before this week and I loved it that's my potted history what about yourself
1: I didn't see it at the cinema and then I waited quite a long time before I saw it kind of half intentionally because the hype was so much for this film and I genuinely was worried that it was never going to live up to what people were telling me about how good it was. And in the end, it was almost a year. I watched it just before I hosted the 2018 Oscars coverage for Sky because obviously it was nominated for a fair few awards and went on to win one. So I watched it for that and I was glad I'd watched it after the hype had died down, but I did really enjoy it and this was my second watch. Mm. And I will say this, my reaction this time was more pronounced than the first time I watched it. I agree. Mm. What about you? Um, Did you
4: guys watch Key & Peele before you saw it?
3: Yeah, Yeah. I hadn't seen (laughs) Key & Peele. No, because it it, it
4: wasn't on the telly. No. And so you had to find it on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. They were one of the first sitcom uh, sitcom, sketch shows to officially put their stuff on YouTube. And that's how most people found them outside of the stage. Very funny it is too. Yeah. And so I was quite excited for this because so many of their sketches are horror like frightening sketches with punchlines. And so you could feel like this guy was working towards something like this. So yeah, I went to the preview screening and viewing this film with an audience was spectacular because we don't usually get involved when we watch a film Um, vocally in the UK in a cinema and certainly not at the preview screens we go to of stuffy critics Mm. but there was proper audience participation happening when you watch this film in terms of people sort of shouting stuff out effectively and so yeah that was special and then I watched it again really quickly after because I had to interview Jordan Peele so I've got some nice quotes from him to Lovely. talk to, to you today. But yeah, that second viewing is really interesting when you recontextualize everything and you see how much of it works on on two and sometimes three levels. It's an yeah. interesting film to go back to. Yeah.
1: And that script. Oh, I know mm. I, I spoke to you this week, didn't I, Victoria? Out of podcast hours. <laughs> and I did say, this script's fucking incredible. The amount mm. of stuff you miss first time round. Yeah. That you're like, oh, wow. Cool.
3: OK, so a little bit about how it happened um, and some of this is taken from, there's an oral history of the film On Vulture by Jody Yuan and Hunter Harris, if anybody wants to look at that. So uh, Jordan Peele, as Chris, you have said, so back in 2008, obviously very well known as an actor uh, principally for Key and Peele. So it's 2008 and it's the Democrat primaries between Obama and Clinton. And so Jordan Peele says he began to see gender and race as two parallel civil rights movements that you could go crazy with. And the implication was that during the primaries, the conversation was sort of who has been waiting long enough for this? Is it the woman or is it the black man? And that's the kind of conversations that were circulating around at the time. Um, And so Jordan Peele wanted to do what, so what Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives did with gender, he wanted to do with race. And he says he'd never seen the uncomfortableness of being the only black guy in a room played in a film. And that leads to a perfect state for a horror film because the protagonist would be starting to question their own sanity as with Rosemary's Baby, etc.
4: And, and when I when I spoke to him, he was also talking about the representation in in films. And, and this is what he said to me, which I thought was really sad afterwards. He said, it slowly dawned on me, I think the first time I really realised it was Candyman, when that came out and suddenly there was a black monster in a, in a monster movie. I remember that seeming so revolutionary, so different. The People Under the Stairs has a black protagonist and movies like Gothica and Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Aside from that handful, there really were no others that I could find. And it's just, it's sad that you have to reach after two really good horror films, you're already going for Gothica and Demon Knight for representation in <laughs> yeah. your horror films. And it's like, yeah, what a, what a sorry state of affairs.
3: Yeah. Um, so it was Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele who put Jordan Peel with Sean McKittrick. So Sean McKittrick, the producer Sean McKittrick, meets Jordan Peel, He pitches him get out and he's like, I will pay for you to write that <laughs> script, which is obviously a, a dream. When he's writing it, he realises he wants to direct it and everything eventually gets to Jason Blum of Blumhouse obviously this is a perfect movie for them um Jordan Peele being a first time director the budget being low budget so it was just under 5 million it eventually made over 250 so that th- is good business
1: i think i'm right i think i heard an interview with Jason Blum talking about how get out as a script had done the rounds at other studios right. first and it did have a much bigger budget attached and what um Blumhouse do is they basically go we won't make this for uh, anything over I think 10 million might be their cut off maybe it's 5 million but we'll only make it for this amount of money so it can be profitable I think they've got this deal with filmmakers whereby they go we don't take any money yeah, up front we basically take what we make yeah. so, which and is then if we all get system.
3: rich we all get rich we all get rich yeah. and,
4: and it does mean quite a few filmmakers do get completely screwed at the end of the process when yeah. the films
1: aren't successful yeah mm. There's no room in narration, but obviously if it works, you can make a lot of money. But I think he really had the script cut back for Get Out. He, I mean, Jordan Peele did it. He was like, look, you need to take some of these set pieces out, you need to pare it back, and that way we can actually make it. And he did, and they did.
3: Yeah. Uh, and so then casting, Jordan Peele had seen Daniel Kaluuya as Chris. Um, no, what's he called? He's in the Black Mirror episode. Daniel. 15, Daniel. No, that's his real name. What's he called in 15 Million Merits? I don't know. Okay. Um. Anyway, he's. I'm, what I'm trying to say is... Daniel Kaluya in 15 Million Merits seemed to Jordan Peele to be like the British Chris because in the episode of Black Mirror, 15 Million Merits. Me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you. Yeah, You him. and Daniel Klee are very similar. Brick Chris!
1: <laughs> Brick Chris. <laughs> Who's that coming this way? Brick
3: Chris! Brick Chris, that's what you're like on your easy jet, going on your jollies. Brick Chris is going. Oi, oi, Brick Chris! <laughs> oi, oi, ladies! You would refer
1: to yourself in the third person as well. Who he wants a shot, I'll get it, don't worry. Brick Chris is on the flight, the party has started. <laughs>
3: Where are you going later? Uh, anyway, so, but in fifty million Merits, I've only seen it once, but... Um Daniel Kalu's character he's supposed to he's very calm he's very patient and he has this huge explosion of anger at the end when is it Jessica Finley Brown or Brown Finley whatever she's called it, she's a stripper. Don't and- oh, no. worry about the name. <laughs> Sorry, <anyway. laughs> we've
1: got Brickrish. That's we've all we Griggers. need.
3: Um Alison Williams I've never I actually haven't ever watched girls which is a bit of a blind spot but she was cast off the back of that because as I'm as I read her character in that is um, she's not a baddie basically mm. she's sort of got this ingenue thing going on which is why she did it because that
1: and Peter Pan Live yeah
3: <laughs> I haven't s- yeah what's Peter Pan Live
1: <laughs> I just I only got fascinated by it because obviously Girls was so cool yeah like, wow, it's such a cool show and so therefore the cast had this sort of imbued cool yeah. about them and then she did this like big NBC Peter Pan Live and she was Peter Pan and right. it just sort of felt like the cheesiest thing like when they used to do ITV like Christmas pantomimes live yeah. on ITV and I was like the fuck is she doing that for? And then you sort of realize. Well, I guess she's still an acting, jobbing actor. So yeah, she's not just because she's done she girls. girls. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, Um, It was shot in Alabama in the run-up to the 2016 U.S. election, which I mentioned because it was released in 2017. So between the initial idea in 2008 and obviously released in 2017, you now have Donald Trump as the president of the United States of America. This is important because it, uh, I've read that it was instrumental, in part of the decision in terms of changing the ending. So we'll come to that.
1: Did you... I honestly... One of the things that I didn't know... I always thought it was set... In Alabama, the actual movie. I didn't realize they were in upstate New York. And I realized how ridiculous that is because the whole point of the film is that mm. we're not doing it in Alabama. I guess because the house is in Alabama, it triggered something mm-hmm. in me. And I was like, oh, this is in Alabama. Yeah. And it was only when I sort of went, oh, but they're driving there and he drives there to rescue Chris at the end. It can't be in Alabama. Yeah. It can't drive across the US. But it does, doesn't does look like what I imagine upstate New York to look oh, like. Oh, it does to
3: me. Okay. Yeah. The- it
1: I'm probably does like- to everyone else. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this is set in the South. <laughs>
3: It's a different movie, though. They're
1: trying to give
4: you that flavour, though. I think, as well, with the people work, you know, working the garden, almost yeah. like it's a
1: plantation and that kind of thing. It's and giving you that visual. Some of those guests look like your mm. old white southern yeah. folk, as well, like yeah. the people who turn up to the auction.
3: Yeah, but anyway. well, I suppose that's the point. About once you move outside an urban centre, mm. then you get to the countryside. You know, I mean, the trick is that it's in New York, which you wouldn't think of, quote marks, as being like that. But right, once you move out of urban centres. Um, things get very different so yeah not much more just that um, Jordan Peel thinks of it as a social thriller you know it's not quite a psychological thriller not quite horror um, like you say it was nominated for four Oscars it won best original screenplay everybody went bananas for it um, I've got something here This is a new section. I'm just just—I'm trying to just give it a name. Hang on a second. New section. It's called They Name It, I Say It, where I dazzle you two. You've done very
1: well with names so far in this section, so I'm looking forward to a (laughs) a section devoted to (laughs) To you remembering names.
3: This is better (laughs) because sometimes I tell you about what I think the decision-making process was behind the naming of a character, and sometimes you listen and sometimes you just straight out take the piss out of me.
1: Right, okay. I get this section now. So this is where people, uh, characters have names which is what they do like a good person is like i'm mr Goodman. yeah right.
3: and it started with when we were watching canine and the baddie was called lie man and, and it goes <laughs> on from there and you don't believe me but i'm like not every script does it but a lot of scripts do use a character trait of a person to inform the name i'm excited so uh the white family in get out are called armitage and you just, you, I bet you two think that's nothing, just Armitage, just a nice fancy sounding name. Yeah. Incorrect. Okay. So the word Armitage, because the minute I knew it, I was like, I, I bet there's something, you know appears clever, like, I'm not just going to pick a name at random. Check
1: with Chris first, does he know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I'm right. excited.
3: Armitage, derives from the old French word hermite, meaning solitary. Hermitage, someone who lives in a solitary place cut off from others. Yeah. The sunken place. They don't live in the sunken no, no, place. No, they don't live in the sunken place. They send people to the sunken place. So their oh. name is adjacent to it. it. makes sense. Well, they could be called anything. Why did you put him? We put him in the sunken place. I live there. <laughs> Why is he floating around? See what I mean? You can't handle this section because it's too smart for you. <laughs> I mean, it's not
1: as good as Lie Man.
3: Well, no, it's better than Lie (laughs) Man. No, it's
1: not as good as Lie (laughs) Man. I like like things fairly straightforward. And the only thing I've got to add in this section is obviously it is the highest grossing debut film based on an original screenplay in the history of Hollywood, previously held by the Blair Witch Project. And also on a personal note, how good is the casting of this movie? You watch it. I know you mentioned uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Alison Williams, but just casting Bradley Whitford yeah. and Catherine Kinnear, people who Keener. You, Keener, you've, people who you've um, certainly seen be funny on screen, like people yeah. who you go, oh, yeah, they're funny and warm. And just having them in those roles, oh, perfect.
3: Yeah, it was really good casting.
1: Had you finished your section?
3: That's my section finished. Yeah, I was yeah. finished. you yeah. knew
4: it finished. Why have you got something to add? I've got more name sections. Just I, I asked Jordan Peele if it was always called Get Out and it wasn't. The working title was Get In! Well, not far off. The the working title was Get Out of the House. (laughs) And he said at some point, I was toying around with horror titles that were a little bit more on the nose. So I was thinking about the title Keepers. Mm. It was nearly cool, which um, would have made me think it was a football film. Uh, And he said at one point, I even thought about calling the movie White. Okay. Which would have been a different
1: film. Mm.
4: Yeah. Uh, But nothing ever beat Get Out. We've done all these movies
1: at the end of this show. We have, 100%. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Until nope, nope comes out this year, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, as we are going to be three
4: white people talking about the most important racial film of the last few years, um, I thought I'd play a little audio of an African-American man saying what I think might have had something to do with where the idea for this film came from. So have a listen.
2: Watching Poltergeist last month? I got a question. Why don't white people just leave a house when there's a ghost in the house? <laughs> Y'all stay in the house too fucking long, get the fuck out of the house. Very simple, It's a ghost in the house, get the fuck out. <laughs> and not only did they stay in the motherfucking house and pull the guys, they invited more white people over. <laughs> i around going, I'll throw to Carol Anson, a television set. <laughs> I would have been gone. If I had a daughter been down to the precinct and said, look, man, uh, I went home and my fucking daughter's in the TV set and shit, so I just fucking left. <laughs> uh, you can have all that shit. I ain't going to back, back to the motherfucking, uh, I just came down so when she ain't up at the school, you don't think I killed a bitch or nothing like that. <laughs> but she is inside the TV set, you can have all that shit. Fuck it. Uh, Mr. Murphy, didn't you try to save your daughter? Yeah, I'm a man. I tried to save. I turned the channel, the shit didn't work. I got the fucking... <laughs> I'll post that
4: full full clip because the house starts saying, get out. (laughs) And the white people still say. So obviously that, you know, real inspiration came from there as well. Yeah. Brilliant.
3: Lovely. All right. Do you want to talk about the film? Mm. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So um, Lakeith Stanfield, he's walking through the suburbs. Uh, He is saying, he's on the phone and he's saying, I stick out like a sore thumb. The point being, I think, that there is no one there. It's empty. The streets are empty. So who are you sticking out against? But it's just the neighbourhood itself. So that is obviously freighted with meaning because to be a black man in the Quartemort's wrong neighbourhood can be fatal, as it proves to be.
4: And he says suburbs in a funny voice. He says it in a stereotypical white voice, which is interesting because later in the film, he will have a stereotypical white voice when he's speaking. (laughs) Yeah. And that who I, I was wondering, obviously, it's Jeremy who comes and gets him in this scene. But who's on the other end of that phone? I was wondering if that was Rose, if this is something they've teamed up on and that's and that oh, his girlfriend is Rose. I,
1: that's weird. I thought the same thing, mm, but then for, I think it's not. I can't. I, purely because later on, don't, doesn't isn't there the illusion that they work separately and Jeremy's sure. methods are yes. less pleasant? Yeah, yeah I just wonder, just speculation. Yeah. I, I, we might as well start with talking about um, how well f- this film is directed by mm-hmm. Jordan Peele and um, that car door open. Where he turns around and just sees the car door open, (laughs) and like it's such a simple thing that I can't remember seeing before. Where you're like, well, clearly someone is now out of the car and somewhere we don't know where. Yeah, brilliant.
3: Yes, it is. It's tense. It is also, yeah, it's 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 weirdly funny as well because it's just it's so Mm. sharp that and um, the nervousness of how um, laser sharp it is with its social commentary already makes you laugh with nerves because it's like you know what else is about to come it's it's really and good and the music's frightening yeah playing that ch- children's
4: song run mm-hmm. rabbit it's a frightening song to it's be honest terrifying. that's a frightening version terrifying um he's got his he's got his helmet on that is a templar helmet so this secret society that they're a part of there's a full mythology that Jordan Peele's written up of this because they're channeling uh the holy grail's power immortality and so if he did, I spoke to him about whether he'd do another film in this in this world and he said it would explore this history because I've written the whole thing out about how this all began and this has been going back to Holy Grail times.
3: Mm. That's what NOPE Ooh. is about, exclusive everyone. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> what has? Uh, what they're doing, they've been working on channeling the power of the Holy Grail so they can live forever. Okay. And this is part of them working towards that. They've figured out how to put someone's consciousness in another person. And, and, and it means you can keep going on and on if you keep, Getting put into a different young body. Guy,
1: I see. Although I thought it was Bradley Whitford's character. Doesn't his dad say, Roman Armitage says on the video, finally perfected by my son? Yeah. Because he was the first person to actually get the surgery mm. right. Because I can't imagine they had the right uh, scalpels No. They've back been, in medieval times. They, they finally succeeded. Knived,
3: but they had but there's lots of other stuff they didn't have in order to perform uh, brain surgery, I guess.
1: Well, I don't know. In prehistoric times, they've dug up some fossils. And while well, it's not brain surgery. Uh, they found that holes had been drilled or smashed in the skulls of prehistoric man, and that the bone had started to grow back, meaning they'd lived beyond the surgery, and it was done to release pressure.
3: Trepanning. Mm. Yeah, that's another podcast, isn't it? Um, anyway, so <laughs> so listen. So I just want to talk Are about you pitching. <laughs> No, No. yes. Uh, I want to talk about Chris and Rose because this, so this is my second viewing and it's her character that changes the most on second viewing for me personally, because you know what's coming in. Chris's arc is pretty clear and he's reacting in, in a lot of the film, obviously. But on first watch, Rose here, when she, her and Chris are together, she just seems quite cute. And she even seems a little bit, a little bit for me, like manic pixie dream girl in that she doesn't have an interior life. She's very understanding. She's sort of gawky, pretty, like geeky, pretty. Mm. Um, and she's looking at this like delicious donut or cupcake because it's only childish, like um, affecting like that. Um, but obviously we'll find out later that she is stunted at that point in her girlhood, in her teenage years. Um, Yeah, there seems to
1: be a bit of discrepancy though Because a couple of different things I think they say different things about why she is the way she is One is that she's emotionally stunted And she's basically a child Yeah, Actually, maybe it's not different things The other argument is that she actually She's found something she's very good at And she's very proud of how good she is at what she does
3: Yeah I think the, you know, she's capable of pretending to be a grown-up woman because Chris doesn't seem like a doofus. Like he's he's smart. He seems smart basically. And if he's completely in love with her, so you infer that she appears to be quite smart and open and all the rest of it. Not a childish nightmare, but she we'll get to it later on when she's sort of drinking the milk and hmm. eating cereal. She seems like a kid. Um but and she's got this arc at first viewing that she's got this sort of walking that will happen later on. So she's teasing Chris that her parents that they're about to visit, they aren't racist. And she she's, so she's like, look, I wouldn't do that to you. And the, you know, you absolutely believe her. You don't think that she's blind to what her parents are like. You just straight up believe that she wouldn't do that to him.
1: Mm. Um, which is really important. And there's the line, you're the first black guy ever dated, yeah. which obviously is a lie, as we find out later. That I don't think I picked up on first time round. And no? now you're like, of course. I like, there's a lot of foreshadowing happening in this scene.
4: Uh, for example, the first time we see Chris, he's putting white on his face because he's oh, shaving. oh, yeah. yeah. clever. So good. And he also says the line to her when they're joking about her parents. He says, I don't want to be chased off the lawn with a shotgun. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what she does to him <laughs> later does, in the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's so much that they, 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 they stick in the start of this film that pays off at the end.
3: So they go, um, but they hit a deer, which is good. Creepy horror movie, like this—it's bad portent stuff, hitting an innocent animal. Uh, but it, for the script, they're stopped by the police. So this is a really important. Okay, scene. And is that it? Because
1: I, I sort of, I stared at that deer for a long time, going, "What does that signify?" You know, what I'm like with subtlety. Yeah. And I, other than it being a useful tool to stop them by the police, and your classic, you know, he's like a, a deer in the headlights yeah. of yep. going to this this house, and um, what he's letting himself in for. But beyond that, I don't know if it, it signifies anything because it pops it does, up again. Okay. It does. It,
4: it's hitting him on a deeper level because his mum died by the side of the oh, road. And yeah. so it's unlocking that in him. Yeah. And so it's it's sending him off down this journey of, of right. redemption that he's going to go on as well.
1: But um, there's, is there a link between the deer head that we see on the wall above the TV that he sort of takes a long, hard look at later when he's strapped to the chair and this deer that he kills at the start or is killed at the start.
3: I read, but I didn't notice this myself because it's not a term I am familiar with, but Bradley Whitford as Dean, in a minute when they get to the house, launches into what you would recognise as like a racist diatribe. Like he's talking about deer, but he's using language like one less to worry about, one down 300,000 to go, which is fucking weird when you're talking about deer, but you do recognise those um, tropes from racist conversations and whatever. Um, But... I don't know if he says it, but I read that he the, the deer was a book, a black book, and that is a pejorative term, uh, a racist term. i just not heard that before, but the significance being that if it's the black book on the wall that Chris uses to kill later, that's the significance of all of that. Yeah,
4: Jordan Peele says that on the commentary. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So you're fine. You're fine.
3: Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) But it's interesting
4: with the police. I mean, I didn't know anything about this film going in. And so the deer hits the car and the police are there. I'm thinking, what the hell is this film? Yeah. I just, it just completely throws <laughs> you off these yeah. early scenes. You think, oh, this is about racist police or is there something in the forest? Mm. I'm thinking, is there a supernatural element to this film? Yeah. Like, it's really clever at throwing you off the scent.
3: On its most basic level, it works to say, Rose has got your back kind of thing because she stands up for you when there's no way that you can confront a police officer. There's You just can't do that. Um, but you haven't done anything wrong, and she goes all in to be like, How you know, basically, you can't ask for his ID, he hasn't done anything wrong. So, it works on a relationship level. She's his white two, knight, yeah. These mm. two have got it like, she's not embarrassed, she's not afraid to speak up, and all the rest of it. And he lets it happen the way he looks at her when she's, she's quite um aggressive towards the police or uh, assertive. He can't, he sort of can't believe that she's like that because obviously that's her privilege. She's able to talk to a police officer. Well, she in that
4: swears way. at him. She says mm. bullshit, which is something he could never do. Yeah. All he can do is de escalate the situation or just be still
1: again, like a deer in headlights. And uh, I, obviously, I, would, I didn't pick up on it the first time around because why would you? But this time you watch it and then you go, oh, oh my she's, God. God. she's got she's a worrying, reason. She's worried her quarry might be taken away from her. The police might take him away so she won't be able to get him to the house. And yeah.
4: she, and she also, uh, and that's the reason she doesn't want, um, the policeman seeing his ID because she doesn't want any record of him being there. Yeah, because he's about to so go it missing. Works on
3: all these levels. Fucking good. Very clever. It's really, really good. <laughs> so, so uh, as we said, they get to the house um, and. There's some breadcrumbs going on, sort of straight away. Obviously did not notice this first time around. Um But Grandpa was a runner and was beaten by Jesse Owens. That mm. will play again later. Yeah.
1: Do you know what? It was only on this watch that I understood that terrifying scene where he runs towards him yeah, in the garden. He's because... trying to beat Jesse Owens'
4: uh, time, mm. is what he's building towards. But also, I couldn't understand why, if it is Grandpa, why is he doing menial tasks in the garden? But then later on, when you see the video... Of him as a as a younger man, um, he loves his garden. He loves gardening. He, right. He's f- fond of his flowers. So that's his choice is to be out there. Oh,
3: I see. so he's not actually working. He's just not really.
4: I just, mean, it's his garden effectively. Yeah. Okay. It's like it's it's grandma's kitchen. Yeah. That's why she's
1: working in the kitchen. It's not because <laughs> yeah. she's a maid.
4: Yeah. It's because that's her house. Well, that's
1: my favourite line when Bradley Whitford's doing the tour, yeah. and he takes him into the kitchen, and he goes, "This was mum's favourite room." We keep a little piece of her in here. And you're like, Oh oh, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. And Georgina's there and she goes, Hi and you're like, Ah ah."
4: He said he was the 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 Shining was his inspiration for doing the tour to give you the geography and to and to and to also, as you say, slide little things in there that'll that'll pay off later.
3: Yeah. And, they, and he says, when, grand, something like when grandma and grandpa died, we couldn't bear to let them go. And, mm-hmm. and if you just hear it at first, you think, well, of course. It's such a privilege to be able to experience another person's culture. Yeah. <laughs> every line has a hidden meaning. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then Jeremy turns up. So it's... After the Jeremy scene... I don't know if it felt that different, first viewing, second viewing. The first time I watched it, I was like, he is flat out aggressive. He Mm. is not in any way. His racism, to me, is not culvert in any way. Mm. He is a wrong and you should get out away from him. This is over dinner. Yeah, they're having it. Jeremy's a bit drunk. um, And he says to... Uh, Chris, he's talking about his frame and he's like, if you, doesn't he say, if you went to the gym, if you trained, you'd be a beast? Mm, yeah, mm. that's I mean, that to me, obviously, that's a that's a big red flag. Like, There's no sort of attempt to like when Bradley Whitford says, which is funny because um, he's already been warned that, that his that her dad will say this about I would have voted for Obama if there'd been a third term. Mm. That's covert racism. This saying, if you trained, you'd be a beast. That is like out and out.
4: Racism. Yeah. And, and the idea here is he wants his body. Yeah, He's interested in Chris's body because maybe like his grandfather, he was bitten by, beaten by African-Americans in his wrestling, yeah. in his jujitsu, And therefore he's got his eye on that body. He just He's frustrated he won't be able to get it because it's going to go to someone else, an older person. And so I think the idea here as well is that he's, he's a bit of a sociopath as well. And he likes, the rest of them are playing roles. Whereas he likes pushing things to the edge. He's having fun here. He's pushing buttons. And it's interesting when the reveal happens at the end of the film, mum, dad and daughter all change. He doesn't change.
3: That's true. He's yeah. the same
4: person from the beginning to the end. So he's telling us who he is.
3: But mm. also, again, surface level on the script, you're watching a dinner party, a dinner that's gone horribly wrong yeah. because the mood has soured, Jeremy is awful, but Rose diffuses it because she calls out his behaviour. She's not like, well, you know, you've got to forgive him when he's had a drink. He doesn't mean those things. She's like, yeah, he's, he's, he's been awful. You're absolutely right. And so because we like Rose, mm. you and Chris doesn't want to like rock the boat. Like He wants this weekend to work. So in terms of the sort of tension of the script and the scenes... It's good, but you're back. You sort of back in the family. Agreed. He's
4: uh, Jordan says that that's one of the most important scenes in the film is when Rose sticks up for Chris in the bedroom about her brother, underlining her wokeness. Because he said the big challenge, the hardest part of the writing the script was hiding Rose. Yeah, and and not have you s- sort of suspect her of anything. And so there's a scene we'll talk about in a bit that he cut, which he felt might, it was a really good scene, but that might have let you on. But that was the scene he said it's pivotal. Uh, for us to shelve our suspicions of her.
3: Yeah. And it for me, for definitely first, it completely worked. Mm. Yeah. Like I didn't see it coming. Oh my God, yeah. But possibly because of the next because Chris is very vulnerable for a really sad reason. And I think as well I just didn't want to believe that she would do that to him for any reason, let alone stealing his brain. But the things that he's been through. So he opens up about, so he sneaks off for a cigarette. That's when, um, who we believe to be the groundskeeper, Walter, played by Marcus Henderson, but actually we find out his grandpa. He runs at him in that terrifying way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Missy, Rose's mum, gets Chris and like teacups him. She's
1: already teacuped him once, very subtly. She started the process, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, when he mentions that his mum died, she just taps the teacup once. Oh, actually, in that scene, Georgina, when she overpours Chris's iced tea, is that just a little uh, allusion to the fact that the process isn't quite perfect and that... And
3: the teacup tappers upset her, Mm. maybe. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Okay.
4: She's kind of, I think it's it's grandma uh sorry, it's Georgina coming through a little right, bit that's as what she I comes mean. through a bit later yep. in the film. But it's funny the interaction between it's Missy, isn't it? And Georgina, the mum. Um, yeah. is she's kind of turning off and telling him to go and sleep, which you think, oh that's a strange thing to say to a maid. But when you realise afterwards, oh that's the mother-in-law that she doesn't get along with. Yeah. That's her talking to her mother-in-law. <laughs> <That's> her <laughs> mother-in-law. <laughs> and there's a bit of you can see a couple of scenes where you can see her talking to her in the background and almost telling her off. This is just a normal daughter-mother-in-law yeah. relationship that don't don't quite I. I. But again, on
3: another level, it works because what you've got is a white person saying, aren't I great because I'm kind and mm. nice to the black people that work for me because she works for me. But I've said, why don't you go and have a lie down? <laughs> Which is like, I'm so awesome with all my money. I'm not like, how dare you kind of thing. And so, oh, so all these other <laughs> layers is so good. Um, but yes, yeah, so Chris talks about his mum and she was killed in a hit and run and he stayed in watching TV. And it's just really, really, really sad. It's just super sad. Isn't it amazing?
1: Like I I don't think there are many examples of this where something is as utterly creepy as this hypnosis scene is, and yet like almost like tear jerkingly tragic mm. at the same time. Yeah. The two marry up perfectly. And it's a it's a little thing that she does. Early on, where she's asking him, you know, where she goes, do you smoke in front of my daughter? Mm. And then in a really strangely severe way, yeah. goes, that is my kid. Yeah. like that. And you're like, what is that about? Yeah. Well, is that because she is fundamentally a racist uh, herself or is it because she's very maternal or is it part of the hypnotic process?
3: Well, now you've said and, it.
4: And there's another thing there as well, because uh, they don't want him smoking because they want his body. Yes, of course. Oh, so yeah. he's got to be as healthy as possible. That's the whole reason yeah. for stopping him smoking. It, it all comes back to that. But there's an intric because everything here is a metaphor as well. It's interesting, the story of Chris's childhood. It's a single parent family. He doesn't have a father. So there's no one around who would do what the adult would do. He was supposed to do what the adult would do. He didn't because he was a child. It's too much responsibility for someone of that age to have to go through. And, and John Peel's saying, this is my comment on this epidemic of there being no fathers in, in African-American communities, yep. that everyone's being raised by a single mother. And so, you know, it's it's him sort of parceling that up in a genre movie. Yeah. And it's good. I mean, it's there. It's very much beneath the surface. But Yeah,
3: that is good. I just thought it was... You need Chris to be a real... There's a lot of social messaging going on Mm. in the film. From the minute you see it, it's called Get Out and it's quite clear, like, not what's going to happen, but that this is a, a social thriller. If he doesn't seem real, like a real person, and his backstory is too thematically smart, then, or avert, rather then he, it will all collapse under the weight of messaging. So the fact that it's under that layer, like you say, it, it just makes Chris seem really real. Abs- and obviously Daniel Collier is amazing, but it's just so heartbreaking that that's what happened to him.
4: Yeah, in terms of his performance, the audition, that was the scene he had to do. Yeah. And uh, Jordan Peele said that every time he did that scene, a single tear would come down his cheek in the same moment each time. Mm. He could time it that way. And he said, that's what, Jordan Peele said, that's what helped me to give up
1: and retire from acting. And so he's not acted <laughs> since. <laughs> yeah, Sean McKittrick says the same thing when they were actually filming the the scene. He was like, he uses so much energy, but he brought the tear out on cue every single time. But because it's so exhausting for him, he has to go and lie, lie down immediately after a yeah. take.
3: Let him have it. I mean, maybe this is my perspective, but tell me what you think. I, th- I think the filmmakers are not saying my mum died because she was black and no one helped her. They're saying, my mum died because I didn't help her, which is so important in this with everything else going on. You just need that personal through line to make it all seem so upsetting. and And, And the
4: idea is that everyone's sunken place is different. And his sunken place is him stuck, paralysed, and looking through what's effectively a, into a, oh, TV a TV set, yeah. which is what he was staring at when it happened, and so that's why he's seeing them, and it looks like they're on TV. Yeah,
3: I never thought of
4: that. Um, I asked him about the sunken place, and he said the sunken place represents a lot of things, mostly marginalisation and the paralysing effect of fear. Within the movie, it's a mental state created in the hypnosis, and it's very much tailor made for Chris with his personal set of fears and his traumatic incident. But it's also a symbol for the marginalisation of black people in society and in industry as well. It's not by accident the sunken represents a darkened theatre where for many years the lol Black horror fan base had gone to watch horror movies which as much as we yell at the screen for the characters to do the right thing they never do we don't get that representation and prison he said it's also um, his version of the prison industrial complex where uh, young black men are taken tossed in a place somewhere out back and from then on they're in the back of people's minds
3: yeah
1: what would your sunken place look like Alex? I don't know. Probably surrounded by a billion Simons, all <laughs> desperately demanding my attention at once.
4: Uh, I think. I think. I think. With Vicky and me, it would be. It would be being stuck in this studio, listening to you tell the same three anecdotes over and over again.
3: <laughs> hey, hey! Wait, hang if on. You say the word briefcase, I will pass out. <laughs>
1: That's my story. That's, That's my truth. Character.
3: That's who I am. I carried a briefcase. <laughs> oh God! <don't. laughs> oh my goodness. On that note, we'll have a short break.
0: Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Join me, Pete Donaldson, and YouTuber Chris Broad as we offer you a taste of life in the most exciting country in the world on our podcast, Abroad in Japan. Whether it's crazy bars, unique vending machines, or tips for learning Japanese, we cover it all. Recently, we even heard a particularly unique chat-up line. While we were chatting, a local Japanese guy in his early 30s made his way over to me and started chatting in broken English. Our chat about general stuff was going all right before he proudly announced, I like big girls. To me, me, with a wink. Truly flattering, (laughs) flirting right there. (laughs) Search Abroad in Japan wherever you get your podcasts.
0: New episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Abroad in Japan is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.
3: (laughs) Stories do not make a person, okay? What? I mean, I I know that the brief kissing was important to you. Was. Was? Yeah. I mean it is it, it still is isn't it not it? Me. <laughs> did yeah. it yeah it's like you no know.
4: it defined that kid of the in-betweeners that you've been copied ever <laughs> since you saw that show
1: I predated the in-betweeners if anything I well, should this be getting I can legitimise yeah. his claim to no, have been telling this story for a hundred years no, we've discussed it
3: behind his back and yeah, yeah. now you and right. I swear to God it predates the in-betweeners which is upsetting <laughs> right exactly thank okay. alright sorry that's your truth and we shouldn't judge you for that yeah. alright anyway so uh, the yeah. sun everything that happens in the sunken place all of it Chris dismisses it as a dream Um, and then this party's happening this is like a grandpa like death day sort of commiser- is it like a commiseration party or a, a celebration of his death kind of thing I wasn't clear um Anyway, it's a big party and there are lots of guests that are coming. So one of the the guests...
4: Sorry, he had the party every year and after he died, they continued having the party in his name. Um, But you don't think twice when you're looking at them arriving and Walter the gardener is greeting everyone. (laughs) Why would the gardener be greeting everyone? (laughs) Oh, hold on. No, that is Grandpa.
1: They're his friends.
3: Yeah, because we've just had a scene where Chris says to Rose, Walter, there's something not quite right. It wasn't what he said. It was the way... I love that line. It wasn't what he said. It's the way he said it. And if you've ever, you know, when you've experienced someone and a microaggression, or whatever, you try and explain it to someone else and you can't. It's like, well, what did he say to you? And you say, well, he just said, I look nice. And everyone's like, well, stop fucking mourning. And it's like, <laughs> well, it's not, it's the way he said it. And then it never works. So.
4: And when they're looking out of that window at People Arrive, that was the deleted, it's not deleted scene, but that scene is much longer in this deleted version of it on the disc. And it, uh, she says that she was also hypnotised by her mother when she was younger and it was to help cure her stage fright. Right. and um, But then the audience then knows, oh, she used to be an actor. We find that out later when you look through the photos, there's pictures of her on stage acting. So oh, we learn oh, that she's an okay. actor at the end of the film, but he said it draws, it draws too much attention to her here. So we just cut that out and it's, it's fine. It works without that.
3: Yeah. yeah so one of the guests uh just
1: disappointed he doesn't play golf that's great
3: oh yeah <laughs> he's
1: like, he's like hey, do you play golf it's like because it's going to make a difference I, do I, you know, I, oh of
3: course because he wants to he wants, oh, yeah, if he, 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 if he him,
1: wins but... the auction and yeah. he gets the body he wants someone who perhaps has already played golf so he can just pick up where he left yeah, he off he wants to play with oh, Tiger oh that's mm. so
3: good I just thought it was just that classic like small talk thing of only being able to relate to someone on a on a thing that you understand which for this old white dude is golf well, well Tiger Woods as well it's, Oh, of course. the one African American yeah, yeah, yeah. golfer yeah. The... So the guest grabs what well, the female guest grabs Chris's arm, mm-hmm. and she it looks like. Well, we, we now know she's appraising him before the auction, which mm-hmm. is obviously. Uh,
4: well for her for her he effectively his body he is going to be the sex slave she's looking at him in purely sexual terms so it's yeah. exactly what rod said he would have become a sex slave
3: yeah if, if he <laughs> trapped in
4: that body if if she bought him
3: it's a it's one of the, when there are lots of deeply uncomfortable moments but when she sort of does that horrible like almost like a wink to Rose about, is it true what they say? Is it better? And you're just like, oh mm. my God, this is terrible. But again, a really clear moment where you should believe in, but it's all diffused because he can't he, he can't quite believe that Rose would put him in this situation. And it, actually, he'll just get through it like he's got through it a million times before because daily life is difficult. And so it's in the scheme of things, he can do this day kind of thing. Well, you
4: feel his paranoia and his his creeping sense of dread, but he gets through it, by he does clock Another African American person at the party, yeah. and he said, "You know, that's what you would do in real life. You would go over to that person just to have some normality." And and you could, you know, he's having to code switch all the way through this movie. That's yeah. what the the phone calls with the Rod are like, and he can have yeah. a moment where he's he can speak normal to someone else of his race, and then of course
3: he can't. Yeah. So, like you say, he spots is that
1: is that arrogance on the Armitages' part that they feel by this stage there is nothing that is going to upset their plans because if you had already performed the procedure on someone and in this instance you know Keith danfield's character would you not be wary about having them at the party because something like this yeah. might happen yeah but i think he's, i
4: think i think you're right i think they're confident and and he makes it clear that they're far away from anyone no one can hear them where they are the house is in the middle of nowhere so but now they've got in there it's fine because
1: i you do notice that job done bradley whitford's uh his desire to keep up the pretense gradually declines uh, the longer the film goes on. Like at the start, he's very much like keeping up the cover story. But at this party, towards the end of the party, he just stops caring. Yeah. He stops trying to convince Chris that anything not weird is going on. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, yeah, like you say, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's back, but he's now Logan. Um, he seems like an old white man because he is an old white man. Um, and we meet Jim Hudson, who, um, because he calls the guests out on their bullshit, he seems like the only, nice. yeah. yeah, the only trustworthy white person apart from Rose. But also
1: because he played Gordon in dodgeball that's the other <laughs> reason <laughs> he's blind and but yeah he's
4: the only one who seems to be able to see through all these people in the same way Chris is seeing
3: yeah them. but it's such a clever play on later when he's like I literally can't see race he doesn't say that but the, we yeah. all recognise that because he can't say, it's that's so good um, it, when I first when you see him and he's blind you're like oh come on but later it just makes so much sense and it's worth it to get him to have that thing I don't give a shit if you're black or white I just want your eyes because mm. I don't see race <laughs> it's so good um where are we so at
4: the the party as well you see that there's a Japanese man there which is quite interesting Um, he said that was in part and we talked about this homage to the Japanese man in Rosemary's Baby at the end at the party Mm. who sort of comes out of left field and there uh, like there here it's to represent that this is an international operation actually Mm. this isn't just happening in this house in this place that there's you know billionaires from anywhere and and then maybe there's a hierarchy of race that the Japanese man can join them yeah, but the African American cannot
3: Yeah. Uh, So Logan, sort of um, after the camera flash, which is we were just setting up that the camera flash would be useful later, sort of comes back to himself and and flies at Chris and is like, you need to get out. And this is, well, it's like you say, it's very risky, actually, isn't it? Because... That nearly disrupts everything, which will then be diffused by Rose again in a minute. But it brings us to the scene um, with Georgina, uh, played by Betty Gabriel. She's just amazing. She's amazing in this. So she doesn't know what it means
1: to snitch,
3: but she knows what tattletale is because she's an old white (laughs) lady. Well, it's the same.
1: I mean, I think the thing is, I was a little bit like, we've just seen this with Walter on mm. the lawn, the same idea of they're using older language because obviously they're older people in these younger bodies. And so tattletale. But I think this scene is necessary because of the moment where you see... Um, the person who's trapped inside this body in this in their sunken place right. come to the fore and is like, no, 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 like that. And you're like, okay, so you've added something, so it's excused that you've done the same language Agreed. thing twice. Yeah, yeah. and Jordan Peel said that kind of, the idea with
4: with grandma and grandpa is that they aren't very good at this. They're old people and they aren't very good at keeping up the pretense and keeping control. And so that's why they're largely kept away mm. from Chris while he's there and they're trying to keep them away. Yeah. is because that they're not as skilled um, as a younger person might be.
3: Yeah. I mean, when I when I watched the film the first time, I thought that Georgina had just I I don't know what I thought, to be honest. But when you know now what the actor is trying to convey, Mm. it's incredible that she Mm. can do. I'm this old white lady, but I'm someone trapped inside me. And all I can say is one word. It's Mm. so amazing.
4: And watching it the first time when by this point I'm really confused. um, That's the most frightening scene because that is the what the fuck moment. Yeah, because I just have no idea what's happening here. Yeah. You know, it's probably something to do with hypnotism,
1: but I wasn't suspecting what it really is.
3: No, I mean, so next, I mean, I think it's, uh, I
1: could you? Could anyone? Could anyone have gone? I imagine this is going to be a brain swapping exercise.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, it all becomes a bit more surface level now because while Rose and Chris are talking by the lake. Jim wins Chris in the slave auction, so it's very clear now oh. that something very, very bad. That's is a
1: creepy scene. That's doing that auction in silence, yeah. standing next to the big framed photo of Chris. Yeah. Creepy yeah, AF. I, I asked him, I asked Pill how
4: that auction works, and he said, "I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really work." When As I watch it gone. back, no, and it I hadn't, be. I hadn't really. <laughs> figured it out. But they're listening on the commentary. He says that, that, you know, this goes back to the Knights Templar and the Knights Templar were collectors of antiquities. And so what they're trading here is antiquities. People are, the number they're holding up are the amount of artefacts they're
1: bidding for the body. Oh, I see. Yeah. You so don't, I mean,
3: yeah. At, at the time, it's just...
1: it's So it's like, not money that's changing hands. They're no. bidding artefacts that they own. Yes.
4: Right. Relics, relics from, from the past.
1: I see. Um... This is
4: also where they had the scene. Sorry, just before this was they had the scene that got cut where Jeremy insists that um, Chris plays badminton with him. And so they play as more and more people come over to watch them and it's a bit weird. And in hindsight, you realise, oh no, they're seeing how athletic he is. Yeah. but uh, it's interesting, the extras in all these scenes, Jordan Peele, because they didn't know the plot, he told them all to act like you're hungry vampires. <laughs> and now I watch it, you can kind of see it in the eyes. That's what's going on there. But he said that the bocce, uh, the lacrosse, the bingo, the badminton, these are all white activities that scare black people because we don't <laughs> understand why people do it. You know, the African-American experience isn't uh, used to playing these games. Okay.
3: Um, there. So I've already talked about this, but... When you know what Rose is, her talking to Chris by the lake about his Mm mum and we get a bit more about his guilt... Uh, it's just so chilling that she on one level she's getting him to open up so that he's a bit more psychologically malleable and pliable because he's like gone there and really confessed his guilt and he's very upset but also I think just because she likes it like she likes the fact that he says to her you're all I've got and she's like cool because I don't give a shit about you Um, and it's just it's devastating it's such
4: a big moment for him because he is genuinely in love with her but he's channeling these inner demons and he realises that he he will literally continue consider leaving without her. Yeah. And so that's such a big decision for him to make. And she's so supportive and she'll do whatever he wants. And it's it's
1: just dark, isn't it? It's good because they've set it up as well. We've just seen all the family. So uh, Bradley Whitford's hosting the auction, but then you see Jeremy and you see Missy watching the auction. So again, the fact that Rose is separated from them and with Chris Mm. convinces you like she would never be there because she's a good person. Yeah. She's on his side. And Mm. she...
3: When he, when she gets from him what she wants, which is him saying, "I, I really don't want to go without you," she's like, "Don't worry about it. Let's just go home." And you're like, "Yay! Everything's going to be fine because you know, surface level, something very bad is happening. It's not implied anymore, if it yeah. ever was. But she's like, she's going to, they're going to be rescued. They're going to be fine. They're just going to leave, even though you know that that can never happen because Jeremy's on the porch doing a deliverance, and so no one's going <laughs> anywhere. <but, laughs> <laughs> um, Ron tells Chris that Logan is actually this missing Andre. He's been missing for, forgotten, quite a long time. Um, and then Chris finds a box of Rose's photographs. And they're, they all look like recent photos because she seems, apart from a couple when she's a kid there's a like a flurry of her at the sort of yeah, similar Yeah, sort of well, age. the kid
4: ones are the acting photos. Right. So those are her on stage. I think one of them might even be Peter Pan, Alex. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, then he starts questioning, oh, is this a, does she have a fetish for, for African-Americans? And then it's Walter and then Georgina. Yeah, that's and then awesome. you're like, Oh, now we're in trouble. <laughs>
3: yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and,
4: and they're trophies. And I think she's purposely let that, let, let, part of the thrill, she's left that door unlocked for him to, to, to find those photos. I think she's got no issue with that. Yeah. I think it's like where Jeremy was messing with him at the table,
3: yeah. This she was is was kind her of, way think, of doing it.
4: I think she hoped he'd find them because I think mm-hmm. that's part of her. her, it makes, getting her yeah, kids. it
3: makes no difference to her either way. But it's a nice, a nice to have. But it's <laughs> it's
1: amazing though that they he has discovered these photos and that this keys scene that we're about to see on the stairs still works. It does, yeah. Like you were still sort of going, you, I, like almost like you refused because you've been so convinced that. Rose is a good person the idea that she would be in on this is just abhorrent enough for you to go she's going to give him the keys yeah, yeah. because otherwise this doesn't work there would be no tension he gives it one last shot doesn't he Mm. that's what effectively happened he
4: knows but she's his only hope yeah She's his only hope.
3: Well, that's what Jordan Peele said. So this this was the hardest scene to do because you are repeating, you're doing the same reveal twice. Mm. So your audience is going to be like, well, yeah, we kind of know what's going on. Um, I mean, it helps that Daniel Kaluuya and Alison Lewis are fucking amazing. Both of them are amazing at conveying exactly what you've just said, that she's his last hope and she's just having fun with it.
1: <laughs> that, yeah. that, that line at the end, when she pulls him out and goes... You know, I can't give you these keys, babe.
3: Yeah, it's... but it's also the way she starts, you know, the white woman's tears and she's like, I can't find the keys, I can't find the keys. Mm. And you're like, get it together. And even you're thinking, have I, what What am I bringing to this? That like, I've seen you with some photographs of some black men and I'm like, well this must be a fetish. Like, what does that, you know, am I projecting my lens onto this? What's wrong with me? And it's like, oh no, no, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And
4: when when he hits the deck, there's a lovely moment where she walks from the stairs over to him and she puts her hair in a ponytail because she's transforming into what they called on the set Roro, which is the dark side of Rose. And so she's physically changing as well as her personality. And it's just a lovely little touch, but it's chilling. And so they've all changed. We've got dad, Dean has, has told us a bit of backstory now. They're called the Red Alchemy. alchemists is is what they're doing they believe they are deities and they have um, achieved this power of the Holy Grail so there's there's this weird mythology that I don't know I think it does get a little bit underexplained in the film but by this point i
1: don't care you don't it, care no you know how they got it was i think it was in that vulture piece where they talk about how they got that key scene so right with rose coming down the stairs and how to convey exactly whether she to get that idea into the audience like is she on our side still have i misjudged was to just film it twice one where she absolutely is playing with him and one where she isn't and she thinks that they're they're both leaving together and then they just cut the two together with the right moment from each which is why you constantly like Wait, no, uh, uh, back and forwards with how she's behaving.
3: That's very good, isn't it? Mm. Uh, props to them. She's obviously. doing
1: her code switching, effectively.
3: Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like you say, he's so he's teacups and then he's awake, Chris is, and we've got that really scary video of Grandpa Roman Rome and Armitage. Tell it, you, this
1: is so good. Before we get to that, though, do you not think it's such a smart move here? And I, I, again, only noticed it on this viewing, where we've had this big reveal where everyone's against him. He ain't getting out of there. He's on the floor. Done. And then rather than continue with that tension, cut away. Have yep. a literal comedy sequence in a it's police brilliant. station. It's brilliant. You've got
4: your all your hope is lost moment, mm-hmm. and then you you start a new chapter and it's Rod on the outside <laughs> and he's offering hope. Rod is Rod's going into action and, and Peel says it's like Halloran in the Shining or Buster in Misery. Mm-hmm. These two people that you think are gonna help. Yeah. Unfortunately, Halloran and Buster. Doesn't don't quite make it. They nearly help. But the expectation is that maybe Rod won't, because Rod's character is supposed to die in these films. Yes. Made by white people. The black best friend will die. Yeah. Any minute now. Yeah. so it's interesting watching his journey. And also as well. he's
3: been purposely set up as sort of you don't expect it from a man like Rod. Like no. he's very funny, but he's a com a proper comedy character yes. in his reactions, even though he's right, which is very clever. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> um, but he doesn't seem I don't not not capable. And he just doesn't seem like he's gonna be able to pull that off.
1: But it's such a bold move as well to but well, especially not when he goes to the police station. This is what I mean. And and and
4: there, um, people of color all through the cops he speaks to, and yet even they won't believe a black person with yeah. this story.
1: Yeah, I think it's that. It's the fact that that scene is played at length for laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it's mm. it's, it's really you've ratcheted up this te- ratcheted funny. up this tension, and then you just go and this sequence is we're going to bring other police officers in, yeah. and we're going to tell the whole story again, and then they're just going to laugh at him, and it's such a a. a a nice breather before we get into this climax. And also
3: Rod can't see it. So when he tells the story <laughs> first time to the police officer, he's quite hesitant. He's like he's basically saying, I know how this sounds, but but when she goes, Just give me a minute, when he's telling it again, he's getting really bold because he's like, And then I thought, but then I did this and whatever and he can't tell that someone's ripping the piss no. out of him.
4: And he's just bloody funny as well. It, it it was clear, listen to that commentary, that he
1: improvised a lot of his lines. Yeah. It's all him. That there's that line where he says he was he was like Oh, this script was so good he was watching it with Jordan Peele and he was like this this script was so good you wrote an amazing script and Jordan Peele was like. You just made that up. <laughs> That's Simon right there. You just made that up. And he said he he sometimes he gets so deep into character. I can't tell if he was joking or not, because it was prose. But he was like basically saying he gets so deep into character, he gets blackout in character, and he can't remember what he's actually said when he's monologuing.
4: <laughs> but yeah, you were saying so we got basically it's like the Dharma Initiative, the video. Yeah. Isn't it? And so we get a big expedition dump. We learn that they're stealing black bodies, they're silencing black voices. It's such a brilliant metaphor, no matter how st- loud you scream once we've got you. Yeah. The marginalization means that no one will hear you. It's true to life and it's just so cleverly put together. Well,
3: it's a it's a horrible sort of the thrill of recognition of the language because Roman says you've had advantages your whole life to mm. to black people. You have genetic advantages, which is Because that's the
4: only reason Jesse will Jesse Owens beat him as far as he's concerned. That's the
3: thing. Yeah, and it's like that you know the white he, people He almost got over it. <laughs> but also <laughs> When so we explains about the coagular and the, the, the brain swap kind of thing, Um, and you will still be in there, but you won't be able to move the body ah, and things
1: like that. That's that's the worst. I, I hate I hate that so much as a, a tool of horror. The idea of being trapped in your own body but unable to control it, being a passenger, the end of being John Malkovich, that whole hmm. thing, an, audi- an audience my for your own, own life. life. It's it, yeah. it it just makes my skin. Crawl, yeah. just that concept is so grim,
4: and I guess again, again, keep coming back to it. That, that's how as Jordan Peele says African Americans feel watching horror films and cinemas. We're just passengers, we're, yeah. we're an audience watching this stuff happen that, that you know isn't for us, isn't meant for us. And it's yeah, it's hard because you know the African American audience is such a huge supporter of horror, yeah, it's such a big part of that audience, and yet just not catered to. And until this film came out,
3: well, I think as well, which um it's showing another it's showing white people another side of racism that we might not necessarily see in that jim explains to chris just pre-op kind of thing cuz he's like why have you why have you chosen black people and he's like well jim's like well some people want to be uh what was he saying? some people want to be faster some people want to be stronger some people want to be cooler and these are things that we used to call we used to call that positive stereotyping we don't say that now but it's because it's racist, but it's like you could have this group of people that are, say that, you know, this is their, this is why they do it. It's a corrective. We take you and we make you white. We make you in quote much better, but they haven't gone that road. They've gone, well, we just want to be you. You know, we want to be faster. We want to be stronger, but we just want to be ourselves, which is another layer. And the idea
4: that they're upset about positive discrimination. Yeah. Now it's your time.
3: Yes. Now it's the
4: African-American's time, so I want to be you. So our reaction to that is to steal
3: your body. You're getting the jobs now, so we want them. Yeah.
4: Because racism's
3: cured. Yeah. There is no racism. (laughs) That's awful. But anyway, so Chris escapes because he plugs his ears with cotton, uh, which is very symbolic and loaded. Um, and then we're sort of quickly into like, a lot of violence. Um, he runs Dean through with the deer, the black buck that we talked about. He stabs does he stab Missy in the eye with the tip, with the spoon? Or what does he stab her with? Uh, I don't know. I think he know. picks up a knife. Yeah, so, okay. Um,
4: well, he, he starts with the bocce ball. That's the first that's weapon. It, yes. He smashes Jeremy with the bocce ball. Mm. Yeah. Um,
3: runs Dean through, stabs Missy. Jeremy pops back up. Puts him in a chokehold and counts down, saying "One Mississippi," which is not by accident. Like you can say "One elephant," and that's still a second. But I think we're invoking Mississippi because of its, uh, checkered history with.
4: Well, especially if you look at the uh, the headlock as being a virtual noose, a noose. Yeah. Then maybe that's what's going on there. But I, I I I like the fact that Jeremy again this foreshadowing happens. Uh, well, for a start, it's the headlock that Jeremy said he wanted to do at the start of the yeah. film. Um, but he says to Chris that he would always be three steps ahead of him if they wrestled. Yeah. Now Chris is three steps ahead of him and he's noticed him kick that door shut when it's open. So he gets the door open, Jeremy kicks the door shut, that's when he stabs him. Yeah. And so he's done exactly what Jeremy wanted to do to him. So it's all set up at the start of the mm. film.
3: And uh, But Rose, she's in her room eating Fruit Loops and drinking milk and listening to the Dirty dirty soundtrack. I can't cope with glasses of milk personally. I do not drink glasses of milk. Lactose people. intolerant? No, I just don't like it. And so when I see someone drink a glass of milk, it makes me uh, be sick a little bit in my mouth. So
1: we've always talked about milk representing uh, a wholesome family yeah. life yeah. in American films, that and spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> <laughs> Spaghetti bolognese and milk, they're a wholesome family.
3: Yeah. So I was pleased when I started researching this film that Jordan Peele is like, Isn't milk disgusting? It's like, I don't think milk is disgusting per se, but I just can't, I just don't like it. And I can't cope with people drinking glasses of milk.
1: But there's been this thing where I think it was around the time of this movie where milk became a representative of white supremacy in America. Yeah.
3: Which is just a thing. It, it, sure. I, it blew my mind reading this because I didn't know any of this. And, and
4: it's all about segregation, what she's doing here. She's keeping the colours away from the white. That's yeah. why she's not putting the cereal in the milk. Oh, I see. <laughs> so she's she's, anti, she's anti-integration, effectively, and that's yeah. what she's doing. And I like the fact that she's listening to Time of My Life because I've always thought, and I think I said it on that episode, that it's kind of a soulless song to have at the end of a film, Dirty Dancing, that was full of amazing soul music. Yeah, that's and true. And so I just think it's his little comment on that as well, that this white woman would be picking that song to be listening yeah, to. Yeah,
3: I see that.
1: Did you find out all about that milk thing?
3: So what did I read? I read that... Um, the Oh, no, didn't someone do a... Wasn't there a protest? And yeah, a was...
1: protest. They they hijacked, white supremacists hijacked Shia LaBeouf's... Um, oh, that was it, yeah. ...virtual protest site uh, and uh, started drinking milk by uh, out of the bottle and talking about how um, we can do this because we're stronger and better. Yeah. Relating to the fact that... Um, Milk isn't uh, easy to digest, apparently.
3: Yeah. I, it just, it all is, I mean, Jordan Peele says milk is kind of gross, and I agree, mm. and there we are. But like you said I agree with him. Yeah.
1: Apart from oat milk
4: and almond milk.
3: And all those but, other milks. But that's <laughs>
4: not why she's drinking milk. It's because she's keeping the colours away from the white.
3: Yeah. And also, I think even if you don't get all any of that, it's she's meant to be wholesome and innocent, and she's done the worst thing you can imagine.
4: I don't know. I think the idea was that she seems even more like a sociopath, that that's yeah. how she would eat cereal.
3: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I eat dry cereal how you're, do you feel about that you're seeing
1: wholesome I'm seeing sociopath um, Jordan Beale says it's his favourite scene in the film mm. he yeah. says it's, uh, he just wanted to put it in there because he, it would make him happy and if people were happy when they saw that it would make him even more happy
3: <laughs> um, so uh, Chris gets away and he drives away but hits Georgina and oh, we what his, a
4: great moment
3: yeah and his guilt and his trauma over mm. his mum that makes him stop
4: Yep. So this is—he gets to have his redemption. Yeah. He goes back and saves this woman, even though we're going,
3: don't save her. Yeah. She very quickly does not appreciate that. No. And so they fight and <laughs> well, they crash.
4: <laughs> well, and Georgina appreciates it, but Grandma doesn't. Grandma doesn't. Yeah. Um, he gets chased off the lawn with the rifle.
3: He gets chased off. Yeah. Rolls chases back. a black man off her property with a shotgun. <laughs> mm-hmm. She sends Walter slash Grandpa. After him, Chris disables him with a flash of his camera, and then Walter shoots Rose and shoots himself. But so she doesn't die, and then mm. Chris starts to strangle it, and he's mad. I mean, I get it. I, I just
4: he's becoming he's becoming this monster. Yeah. Um, which we don't want him to become it means that she wins if he kills her. Yeah. He'll end up sacrificing, he'll end up going to prison. And so...
3: Because he must know that you would run the scenario and you you run the optics of you strangling a white woman. But that's why the ending is so good. So let's get to this. So mm -hmm. so there's two endings. Um, The original, the much darker ending is that he does... It's the police that turn up and he goes to prison.
4: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so much of this film as a white person putting me in this mindset that I'm not used to having. And so normally in a film like this, I would be happy that the police have shown up. But this film is making me look at the world through Chris's eyes. Yeah. And I am dreading that moment when those those lights yeah. come on, which is one of the many times this film makes me see the world differently, mm. which is yeah. so clever.
3: But they did some test screenings and um it was just, you know, it just took the air out of the room that you'd been on this journey with Chris and he just didn't get a happy ending. And because we're now sort of 2016... And, and Donald Trump is in charge. It's a, It feels like, Jordan feels like it just felt like a different world and, and it just was too much to do that to people.
4: Yeah, I asked him about it and he said um, that option was created in a time where it felt like racism wasn't being discussed in a way that it should be. Barack Obama was president and there was this desire for us to be past the whole topic of race. Mm-hmm. So the original was meant to be more of a gut punch. The version that I landed on, I felt like we were more at a point where we were ready for a hero and an escape. Yeah. It's just unexpected though. Because I'm thinking of the, my, my favourite horror films, you know, Wicker Man, Don't Look Now. All, all my favourite horror films have the downbeat ending mm. and the real ending. And there's part of me that questions whether that, that what we get. It's the satisfying, happy ending, but is it the real ending?
3: Well, I think it works. Oh, I think it's clever because you still hear the siren and, and you yeah. see the red light. So you, your brain goes, oh, mm-hmm. fuck, it's the police. You get both. You get both, yeah. yeah. So you project... What would happen if that was police? And to to explain
4: what happens in that other ending is um, they're the police. They arrest him and it cuts to six months later and Rod's visiting him in prison. And Chris can't remember the names of the people at the party. There's no evidence. And so the police don't have much to work with. And and Rod asks if he's okay, And and Chris says, I'm good. I stopped him. I stopped him. And then he hangs up Mm. on Rod. Also, the
1: first thing he does say to Rod is how Sid first thing he asks after six months incarcerated is how Sid, his dog.
4: Oh, right. He wants to know how his dog <laughs> is like
1: that. There was another ending, uh, though, that they talked about. They never shot, uh, whereas they shot both of those, obviously, um, whereby uh, Rod is tracking him down and looks for him. And eventually you find Rod um, entering another party secretly, uh, another large gathering of white folk, and he finds Chris there. And he goes up to him and he's saying, Chris, Chris, Chris. And Chris just turns and goes... I can assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> wow,
4: <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah, on the um, on this sort of alternate takes on the DVD, they've got uh, r- all. Rod's different responses they let Lil Ray come up with whatever he wanted so he improvised the first thing he says to Chris when they're in the car Um, there's some funny ones he says if you need someone to talk to about being a sex slave the things they made you do the people they made you touch I'm there for you Uh, the next one he says don't give up on love because it won't give up on you I didn't write that I lived it (laughs) Uh, the third party says, uh, "No more white girls for you. That dead bitch out there is it? That's it."
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, he tries to tell him to that his cousin is now single and she's only got two kids. Um, and he says, "Do you think I could use that bathroom?" I guess I shouldn't ask that. I can hold it. Um, and he also says, "You think she'd voted for Trump?" "Yeah, she had to. Look at her, <laughs> make an America great again." And he said that that one they nearly went with, but he said it was so specifically anti-Trump. And he said although the film. Was anti-Trump. I didn't want it to seem like that, or that for the film to date, no, which it would it, be dating it, by yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, of course.
3: I think the the button for me still. It's still. It's a. It's a sad ending when you think it's a police. Then it's happy because it's Rod and it's funny. But then it's still sad because the look on Chris's face, I think to me, just brings it back to their relationship. Like He really did love Rose and she did not love him. And now he's got to go back out into the world, knowing everything that he knows. The world really is a terrible place. And there's a victory that he's stopped this awful thing. But personally, he's still got to live with what's happened. And the worst way to break up with someone.
1: did 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 your mind not sort of... Because obviously the original ending where the police turn up and he gets arrested, this is the happy ending. But you can't think that... You, you, your brain does sort of go, but people are going to find this. Yeah. And they I mean... I guess they didn't know he was there, though, because she. They'll blame she it on dead. Walter, right? Fine.
3: Walter is a, a black mm. man with a gun next to a dead white woman. Mm. Well, everyone will think Walter God, did it. That's
1: him. a really good point. Yeah, yeah. That's a
4: really good point. And as I say, I, I've experienced this in a cinema twice with with audiences, and he's right. He said we needed an ending to bring people together and have a collective catharsis, and you can feel the catharsis in the room. Yeah. The relief of uh, 400 people sitting around you is a is a is a genuinely great moment, and I can't imagine what. it it was like watching it in Harlem in America or somewhere like that, you fact, know?
3: If Walter doesn't turn the gun on himself, Chris has got a massive problem because that for me, it's like Walter's taken, the, will take, by doing this, takes the flack for all of it because the police won't even bother. They'll just mm. put it all together based on that. If Walter's like, I would like to come with you and try and beat this thing because he's had the, the camera flash, then Chris has got a really big problem because there's no one to pin it on. Mm. Uh, so it is, it's good for Chris that Walter does that.
1: Um, yeah, but the camera flash only brings... Um, the uh, uh, um, gets rid of uh, Roman for a moment. Yeah. yeah. So that's why he kills stuff. He knows that he, Roman's coming back. Yes. Mm. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah. That's all I have.
4: Uh, I asked him about doing a sequel or another story because it was such a hit. I mean, those questions are inevitable. He said I would never do a sequel without figuring out how to make it as good or better, which might be hard. I'm a fan of what James Cameron does with sequels, where you get all the fun of the original plus an entirely new element to the fun although Alien is better than Aliens, Alex. It's weird he said that.
1: Thank Um, you, 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 Jordan. You didn't prep him? Um,
4: He said, so it's not out of the question, but I'm definitely going to respect the response to the original and not do a sequel just for the sake of it. So I did say to him uh, what happens with Chris and Rod after the credits roll. Um, Will they be okay? And he said, that's a good question. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Is Rose really dead? Can someone save Andre? These are all questions that people are asking me online. I definitely look to satisfy people if there were a sequel.
3: Okay. Uh, let's do the bits then, shall we? Mm. So, uh, Alex, what was your best scene?
1: Uh, you know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? <laughs> yeah. uh, the whole key sequence on the is great, but it's just the way she delivers that line. I mean, I think she's great. I liked um, Alison uh, Williams' quote where Jordan. She asked Jordan Peel. One of you know, the first things she asked about the character was, "Would if her entire family died, would she carry on doing this?" And his answer was. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that really sums up her character. But I think that moment on the stairs. I really love the dinner sequence. I was going to pick that where Jeremy is just a monster, but it's the key sequence.
3: Uh, Mine's the key sequence as well, so I will just jump in there. Uh, What about you, Chris?
4: That sense of relief I felt at the end when I realised it was Rod.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I
4: I won't forget that feeling. I was so, so relieved because I just didn't see it going there. Mm.
1: I can't imagine. Well, I think the film might not have been quite as well-loved if they'd gone with the original ending.
4: Oh, 100%. I think it makes $100 million less mm. if, if they go with the downbeat ending.
3: Yeah. Mm. Uh, you must valuable, whatever, Chris.
4: Alison Williams is very, very good in this film, uh, but I'm going to go with Betty Gabriel. Yeah.
3: Uh, uh,
4: Jordan Peele being the obvious one that I'm hoping one of you guys will say. But that battle that goes on in her head when she's saying no, 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 it is phenomenal acting and it blows my mind every time I watch it so yes she's
1: my shout What about you? Uh, Well (laughs) I do so I hope you're picking Jordan Peele because I am
2: (laughs) Oh good (laughs) Uh, Because
1: I couldn't decide it was either going to be uh, Jordan Peele for his directing and especially on the second viewing his writing or Daniel Kaluuya but I've gone with Daniel Kaluuya and you touched on this earlier and it's the way he plays Chris Um. As things get weirder and weirder around him, he always maintains a realism to who he is. And I think in a lot of horror films, you see a sort of... Hammy's not the right word, but an overreaction, a kind of, I'm in a horror movie. And I think with his performance as Chris, it just grounds everything. Like, you never feel like you're watching a horror movie so that everything weird that happens just feels horribly real and horribly mm. possible. You're watching a guy transplanting brains in his cellar and you don't go, this is ridiculous. You're yeah. like, yeah, I'm with you. And I think so much of that is to do with his performance yeah. and how you were so invested in him as a character. So, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya.
3: Yeah, so mine is Jordan Peele. It's very simple, but it's a really good idea and he's done it very well mm. so, <laughs> for that reason. Uh, what would you change, Alex?
1: Uh, do you know what? I've, two of the ones that I did have, we've discussed, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It was the big red box sitting in the middle of that cupboard with the photos in. Yeah, But, yeah, I get that. Maybe she does want him to find it. I don't know when she would have put it there. If he'd found it too early, it would have thrown a cat amongst the pigeons. And then it was uh, the um, the whole idea of the end. And, you know, I love the brevity with which it ends where suddenly they're off, but I'm like, is he going to get found out? Oh, are there things left behind? What have you? So, ultimately, because we've discussed both of those, it's uh, don't be sponsored by Microsoft. So, Rod has to use Bing as a search engine, <laughs> something <laughs> no one outside a Microsoft office yes. has ever done. They no, wish we would, no, but we it,
4: don't. It, it, Microsoft uses Google as well. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do. Bill Gates, I really... Set snub. Bing yep. as
3: default. No, stop asking I wrote down. <laughs> what, are, what is Bing? What are you?
4: I wrote down, why is he Googling on Bing? Because that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's not searching anymore. It's googling.
3: Uh, what why, about you? Why
4: is he asked Um, <laughs> um uh, On a purely basic level, don't have two big expedition dumps on your TV. One come after the other. We've got Roman, and then we've got Jim tell, telling stories. Oh, so fair enough, uh, you yeah. know, I have someone come in the room. Yeah. You know, d- the dad, the dad, or the girlfriend can easily come and tell him the second bit of information. Yep. But I'm gonna. My favourite scene is that. And moment is that sense of relief with that happy-ish ending, uh, but the change I would make is definitely change it to the other ending they shot. I do believe that's the real ending of that film, and while it would have made less money, I think it's the right way to go.
3: Okay, mine, I mean, this is difficult. How
1: can... That's insane that you would change it to the more downbeat ending, despite your favourite moment in the film being the...
4: 100%. I, I, and I loved it, but I don't think I would have slept that night if it had been the other ending, uh, in the way that I didn't sleep after I watched Wicker Man and Don't Look Now. So you mean... You mean it's it, a great it, uh, moment? I just think it would no, have been a greater no, I'm moment. Just, I'm just
1: trying. So you, you kind of want that that want under that the pain. skin. I want that thing pain. forever. The no, happy no ending, intended. The happy ending made
4: me feel good, but the other ending would have made me feel the pain that I've, I think is the real ending for this film. Vicky, mm.
1: okay.
3: so I think I would make. So you know, in the scene that we talked about a lot, where uh, they're stopped by the police because they've hit the deer, and Rose is quite assertive to the police officer when he asks for Chris's ID. I would, to give her a bit more of a wobbly kind of arc in this sort of wokening that she has, I'd make her less walk straight off, less assertive in that scene because if if it's true on another level that the police officer could ruin her plan, I think she might be more polite to him. And then Chris and Rose have got a bit of a bump in their relationship there. He's like, why did you not sort of tell him to, to back off? And I just think as well, like it, it obviously works for the US. She's a very privileged white woman. She's not just a white woman talking to the police, but... Women can't really talk to police officers like that. I have tried, and they don't like it. So
1: you can't talk to police officers. No, I like can't. That. No, no, no. But I suppose I'm just going to put you in a slightly separate Victoria category. <laughs> uh, for for, for, for yeah. I'm going to climb. I know, this. this is my chicken shop. <laughs> and I don't want them in here. No, I have found that deference <laughs> is
3: best when talking to police officers. Uh, so yeah, it's it, but it's a silly thing, you know. It would just be a fun bump in their relationship. If she, if she wasn't just so straight away in quote, it's like, great, but it's a minor thing. I mean, it's, it's perfectly fine as it is. Mm. Uh, there we are.
1: Done for done. Yeah. Done for done. That is Get Out Finished. Chris, shall we do a quiz? Yeah. Do you fancy a game game?
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. So I'm going to describe you a board game and I want you to tell me what the board game is. Okay. okay. So, Vicky might have
1: an advantage of this one. <laughs> Why? Do you play kids' games these days? Oh, are they kids' board games? Some of games? them are, yeah. Some of them are. Okay. Well, have they changed considerably since I was not, a child? No. no, I think these are mainly from our childhood. Oh, it's not like going to be like, Harry Potter the board game. No. Right. <laughs> no.
4: <laughs> we'll kick off with an easy one. To play this game, you have to play, place a large vinyl mat on the floor.
3: Twister! Twister! Oh! Oh! Oh, God!
4: <laughs> wow. Well, here comes the red. Um, <laughs> Alex got there first. Um, I've never actually played this one, but I feel like, I feel like you might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this game, you live on an island and must build up your settlements and cities. Catan. Correct. <laughs> I've never heard Have of it. Have you played it? Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> I of,
1: own course. It. Yeah. of course. It's not really a children's game. It's a very serious game about building a It doesn't sound like something <laughs> for adults. It sounds way more complicated than it is. I, I bought it thinking it was going to be great. It's a luck-based game. It's stupid.
3: Okay. Sorry. Right.
1: I mean, if you're a Catan player, we should play, and you can tell me otherwise. Come round. Right. Come right. On Vicky. Yeah, Come Sorry. Vicky. Sorry. This game requires you
4: to hold a pair of tweezers in your hand. Operation...
3: Oh, God's sake.
4: Correct. Starting with school and ending with retirement, you'll have... Game jobs. of
3: life. Correct. Oh, my God.
4: <laughs> Everyone's a winner in <laughs> the, the game of life. Uh, this game requires you to eat marbles.
1: Oh, uh, wow. Hungry hippos. Yeah. <laughs> it's hungry, hungry hippos. Hungry hippos. <laughs> Love those, those, eating those marbles. <laughs>
4: and finally, this game was inspired by Rube Goldberg machines. You've got to try to avoid. You've got to try to avoid being imprisoned as oh, you circle Monopoly. the board and collect cheese tokens. Mouse traps! Yes. Oh, oh man. <laughs> you don't have to say it so weirdly. Mouse <laughs> traps! He wasn't sure. Uh, uh,
1: well played. Uh, so a win for Alex. Mm-hmm. Thanks. What's your favourite board game, Chris, just to diffuse the atmosphere? (laughs)
4: Um, I love Scrabble. Oh,
1: I love Scrabble too. Do you? Can yeah. we play Scrabble sometime? Have you been playing Wordle? Has anyone played Wordle? Yeah. Is it really no. as addictive as people say? Yes. Sard Sard off. He just sold it to the New York yeah. Times for a well, seven-figure sum. Ten days ago he did. Right, as, uh, When, when this goes
3: yeah. out. Yeah. It probably oh, yeah. doesn't work anymore.
1: Turns out he was a wronger. Don't mention him. That's what happens oh, when newspapers wow. buy games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying on the time delay, obviously anything can happen in ten days. The news moves so fast <laughs> these days. Boris Johnson, who was he? <laughs> right, uh, next week Clash Putters in control continues. Another listener pairing, Chris. I believe you have the clue. Yes, this this one isn't. Uh, this pair hasn't been suggested by Sarah from Madrid. <laughs> 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 this is a real one. <laughs> Sarah's a real one. Sarah, I'm okay. sorry if you're listening. Chris is having one of his moments. He's had a funny okay. turn. This clue is uh, next week's double should see the pod stock rise. Oh, that's a good clue. That's a great clue. Well done. Right then, next week's double should see the pod's stock rise. Get your guesses in on Twitter where we are at ClashPod. In the meantime, also subscribe, uh, rate, and indeed review us if you've got the time. Check in with us, like I said, on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. We are back on Thursday with Ready or Not and revealing the winner of this week's Clash. Bye-bye.
0: This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.